Welcome to We Are History. Uh, this is the most serious history podcast on the World Wide Webnet. Oh yeah, you'll basically get a PhD from listening to this. I'm John O'Farrell. And I'm Angela Barnes. And we're just two people very interested in history and we're going to be talking about various backwaters of history that interest us, amuse us, uh, think are worth discussing for 40 minutes or so. If you want to Contact us. Yeah, say, you can contact us on the old social media. On the World Wide on Web. Twitter at We Are History Pod. Yes. Or same on Instagram, We Are History Pod. Or you can email us, We Are History at. No, what we is are, it, John? We Are History, we are history Pod. History, at gmail.com. <laughs> or you can write a letter to number two, The Muse. <laughs> No, don't oh, write a letter. Oh, dear, anyone think we're old, John? <laughs> don't be ridiculous. Uh, anyway, we remember most of the things we're talking about. Today, yourself, we mate. are going back to the late 1940s and the early 1950s in America. And we're talking about the Red Scare. <laughs> Communists oh. infiltrating everything. Uh, the Red Under the Bed. The Red Under the Bed. Now, the way I came to uh, learning about... McCarthyism, the House of Un-American Activities, uh, and the whole Red Scare uh, in America was via the play The Crucible by Arthur Miller. So yes. we studied that at university. Uh, I, uh, I was in a production of that oh, were you when goody, I was younger. Were you Goody Proctor? I know. I was uh, weirdly Tituba, the Barbadian slave girl, which oh, I can I see it. I can see it. Um, in, in many ways. Okay, didn't black up, did you? Different did you black no, up? No, blacking up. Let me categorically because that's the new. That's the new. Uh, that's the new thing. You know, if you're suddenly uh, found to be racist, you could be drummed out of the media, yeah. and so that's the modern equivalent. Maybe we'll come on to that later. But uh, obviously, you shouldn't be racist. Don't be racist, kids. But anyway. Anti-communist hysteria. It, I mean, it really was the reason that the uh, Arthur Miller chose to write a play about uh, the Salem witch trials and about the paranoia and about the execution of uh, young girls in uh, America in the late 17th century was because the parallels are there. The people went mad in America in the late 40s, early 50s about communism, about this really specious threat. I mean, people going mad in America. Who? <laughs> Well, Who could imagine such a thing? <laughs> well, it was uh, bizarre that the Western democracy with the smallest Communist Party, the least mm -hmm. number of, uh, you know, Communist Party members per capita uh, was the United States. In Britain, we had two Communist MPs sitting in the House of Commons. Yeah. Uh, uh, were elected in 1945. Uh, but uh, and people were pretty relaxed about, you know, Communist, Socialist, Social Democrat. You know, they all sort of um, rubbed along. We thought mm -hmm. we were there, you know, the Labour Party thought the Communist Party were annoying and the Communist Party thought the Labour Party were sellouts. But they Popular didn't... front of Judea. Yeah, yeah but they didn't, they didn't but yeah. uh, think that they were going to try and pull down the whole country. But yeah. so let's set the scene for, uh, you know, the end of the Second World War. Soviet Union had, of course, been an ally. Yes. Um, so under the terms of the House of the um, House of American Activities, the fact that Roosevelt had sat at Yalta uh, or um, uh, with the, you know, whether was it Truman or whatever, uh, uh, after you know, at the end of the war, having conferences with the leader of the Soviet Union would have been enough in their eyes to condemn him. Lots of people had supported the communists uh, because they were the firsts, uh, first to oppose 
the rise of the Nazis in the 1930s, when the West had been a bit slow to condemn uh, Franco in the Spanish Civil War in the you know 37, 38, uh, the rise of Hitler. They'd been trying to accommodate uh, the Nazis in the West and not have war. The communists were always very strident about opposing fascism. And so many young radicals were attracted to communism. Dennis Healy in this country, a sort of Labour uh, chancellor had uh, been a member of the Communist Party and lots of... Um, Many artists re- and liberals in this country. ...respected were- yeah. uh, uh, the stand against uh, communism. It should also be said that the only, pe- the only political party in America opposing racism in the South, vocally, were the communists. Uh, and so it was a respectable thing to be. But then the Cold War happens after the, after the end of the Second World War. Um, China goes communist in 1949, and uh, America had put a lot of money into the uh, trying to uphold the old regime in China and failed. And so Truman, the uh, Democrat American president, got a lot of flack for that for Republicans, saying that it was his fault that China had gone commie. (laughs) Then you have uh, um, uh, uh, Russia gets the atomic bomb. Which is the big, I mean, around this time yeah. as well, you have the uh, the, the big trials of, of um, yes, Soviet his, agent, yes. agents in I'll America. So you had Karl Fuchs and the Rosenbergs. Yes. And um, so there were, there were spies, of course. There were spies. This wasn't and completely. Were, this wasn't, and, and the fact that, that Russia had the atomic bomb, that was the a, hydrogen bomb, that's the. That uh, sort of made people terrified. Then the Korean War happened. And so yeah. suddenly there was this. Um, the scare or the danger of communism, but it was the Republicans really who'd been uh, on the back foot politically right through the Roosevelt New, New Deal years in the 1930s. And Roosevelt had won four presidential elections in a row. Unprecedented. You can't do that anymore in America. Yeah. You can only serve two, two terms. But they were very much on the back foot. But they had a sweep in the 1946 Congress elections and became very powerful in America. And they weren't going to let this happen again. And they sort of built up this idea of the communist threat within the United States, that the that, that, that America was crawling with communist sympathisers in yeah. the areas of media and uh, government, and that they had to be uh, they had to be uh, flushed out. Uh, and so various uh, dodgy characters who themselves were <laughs> anti-Semitic, misogynist. Pretty Immoral, awful humans. dreadful people started to bang on about communists in every area of American life. And what better and, way to deflect from your yeah from your own wrongdoings uh, than to uh, yeah, pick to, on the bogeyman over there? Yeah. So this country that had very few, you know, uh, relatively speaking, active communists mm-hmm. suddenly became absolutely paranoid uh, about communism, and people lost their jobs. Uh, I read about um, students at the University of Chicago were asked if they would like to sign a petition for a new Coke machine. Right. And they didn't want to put their names on this bit of paper in case their names made on a list and they were seen to be political agitators. So that was the atmosphere in America Goodness in 1950. Me. Well, it was all about names on lists, it was, wasn't it? Was, yeah. So you had the House of Un-American Activities. activities yes. Um, Which was a, a, sort of, a, a sort of committee of Congress. Yes. Uh, and you could be brought... Before them, yes. If you were thought to be subversive in nature, uh, particularly it seems in the arts and film, in you know, I think that got the most attention. It did happen across yeah. academia, and it happened uh, inside uh, government, uh, you know, in public works. Uh, but this was a committee that took upon itself to be the prosecutor, the accuser, the judge, and jury of whether you were a communist or not. And the very, the very. Um, setting made it dramatic tv 
It was a packed room. There was a lot of banging of the gavel by the chairman and very aggressive questioning of people who'd committed no crime, but were asked... It wasn't a crime, was it, to no, be a member of the no, Communist Party? No, you were allowed party. to be a member of the Communist Party. And it's in the, you know, the freedom of uh, association is in the, the American constitution. But the gavel was banged and it's, are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? And they would say... I don't think this is a fair... Answer the question, are you now or have you been a member of the Communist Party? And just to be called by this committee was enough for you to... your employees to go, yeah, we're terminating your contract. So yeah. people were, uh, lost their jobs. Um, the, one of the, the, the author of uh, one of the books I've read about this, um, Schrecker, talks about his high school teacher just disappearing. And he didn't know why his high teacher had uh, ceased to be his teacher at school until he realised years later that he had been, his name had been put on a list. And it's terrifying to think that these self-appointed judge and juries could could take away someone's uh, uh, means of earning a living, but also make them social outcasts as well. So nobody wanted to associate with them. Yeah. So uh, it had many tentacles, this it syndrome. Did. It did indeed. But I suppose, as you as you picked up most famously within the world of Hollywood, yes. we've got a burgeoning film industry yes. by this point in yes. the 40s and 50s. So the, the if you were a member of the Screenwriters Guild, yes. if you were thought to have any sort of union affiliations or... Absolutely. Um, or indeed membership of Communist Party, or if it was felt that your films, your scripts that you were writing, mm. your performances were in some way conveying communist a messages. communist message. Yeah. And you could be brought up uh, you know, against the House of Un-American Activities. And in fact, there were um, the famous Hollywood 10. Yes. Were 10 actors, screenwriters. Yes. Um, uh, mostly writers, I think. Yeah. Mostly writers. And there were, I believe there were initially 70 odd people on the list, but 10 that actually were brought up. Yes, and they were they were singled out and they refused to testify yep. and name uh, names. I mean, basically what you either... You, it was a, a lose-lose situation because if you uh, testify... Well, as soon as you're on this committee, you were basically tainted with the idea of communism and yep. you were not going to work again. And uh, so if you wanted to keep your dignity and your honour by not naming names and saying who you think might have been a communist or had communistic leanings. Communistic was a word they kept <laughs> using. Uh, no, that's one that uh, the, 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 the chairman of the, um, uh, the House of Un-American Activities kept using. Um, if, you, if you didn't name, which I, you know, we all hoped we wouldn't do, but some of them had a chance for survival if they named names, if you were a friendly witness. So people like Ronald Reagan, who yep. was then an actor, of course, and the president of the Screen Actors Guild, he went. He was there as a friendly witness saying he uh, had concerns about communism in, the, in Hollywood and that these people had to be uh, chased out. And he didn't stand up to the House of Un-American Activities. He was... Uh, uh, on the side of the prosecutors, as indeed was another future um, president, uh, Richard Nixon, who was uh, very busy uh, on that committee. And uh, it suited his purposes very well to stir up the fear of communism and the notion that this was one of the greatest threats to America at this time. Scary stuff, isn't it? it I'm just thinking the world we're living in now with, um, you know, we're being on the left in America 
Yeah. Well, one of, the, one of the things I took away from it was it sort of crushed the left in America, really, because uh, which never really recovered. If you think about mm. the Democratic Party, you know, from our perspective, seems somewhere to the right of the liberal Democrats Absolutely. over here. It's like soft conservatism versus hard conservatism over there. There were, you know, there were socialist parties in America. There was a popular front candidate uh, in the uh, um, uh, elections in the 40s, but to have campaigned for him... Uh, campaign for Wallace, I think it was, uh, was used against you. That was like you were campaigning for this candidate for a president. Well, he was not, you know, he wasn't a communist candidate. No. Um, It was suggested back back in the, uh, about 1946, uh, it was suggested to the House of Un-American Activities that they might investigate the Ku Klux Klan, uh, (laughs) who were actually killing American citizens and uh, assaulting um, what they then called... You can't Negan. get more un-American. They, yes, exactly. <laughs> Back then, they were what they were called uh, Negroes. We would now say, you know, African-Americans yeah. uh, were being lynched and killed. And they decided not to investigate that, but to investigate this m- mythological danger of mm. communism, um, which shows you just how sinister the whole thing is. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit bit more about the Hollywood 10. The most famous member of the Hollywood 10, there was a film about in 2015, was Dalton Trumbo. Trumbo. Uh, He was a screenwriter and uh, his name appeared on the list alongside the other nine people who were brought up against the House of Mm -hmm. Un-American activities. And like the others, he refused to admit to any... I think he had been a member of the Communist Party. I think he actually had been. I think several of them had been members of the Which is his right. Which is his right and not illegal. And so they, you know, they weren't trying to cover up that they'd done anything. They were just trying to point out it was unconstitutional what they were being asked. Absolutely. Um, And in doing so, that got them blacklisted. Uh, It meant that his career as a screenwriter was essentially... Yes. Well, was over, except it wasn't because he continued writing... Under a pseudonym. Yes. Um, and I believe the whole thing sort of came to an end, really, with uh, the, the Hollywood 10, particularly when eventually he just put his name back on a script. Right. I think uh, the film Exodus, I believe it was. Right. And... Um, but uh, his his name was missing from films he had written. So yeah. if you think about the, uh, the film Roman Holiday, the sort of... The, that well-known piece of Marxist propaganda yeah. <laughs> where Audrey, Hope, uh, Audrey Hepburn is riding around Italy on a scooter and uh, trying to bring around uh, a dicta- dictatorship of the proletariat. Um, and um, didn't she kill the uh, Russian royal family at the end of that film in a, in a massacre <laughs> at St. Petersburg? Definitely, but, uh, that's what but, happened. But, um, yeah, so his name wasn't on the credits of that, even though no. uh, he wrote that in 1953. Um, and, and this was the start, really, of paranoia really ramping up. Yeah, in that, because you then had what they called the Red Channels, which were pamphlets that were produced right. that named people in Hollywood that were suspected yeah. of un-American activities. And, of course, it's like anything. Once your name's on a list, yes. it's very hard to... And there were people on there. Orson Welles was on the list. Arthur Miller, who we mentioned earlier, which yes. led to him writing The Crucible. Uh, Bert Ives, Dorothy Parker, Edward G. Robinson... Sam yeah. Wanamaker was on the... Richard Attenborough. Richard Attenborough. Was in the Red Channels. <laughs> Darling, I'm so honoured. Yeah. <laughs> this, this slur doesn't belong to me. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, it was widespread. Um, and um, Trumbo's uh, son campaigned for his uh, name to be put back on the credits of these films years yeah. after Trumbo's death. And it yeah. was finally put back, I think, very recently. I think the film, actually, the film Trumbo helped sort of in the restoration of his... Uh, 
um, uh, credits. Yeah, do uh, watch it. It's a good film. It Brian is a good, Cranston. It is, it yeah, is a good yeah. film. There's another good film about all this, which is, believe it or not, it's, a, it's a starring Woody Allen, who's clearly, you know, not in... Uh, not, in, not in fashion at the moment, <laughs> but uh, he wrote, uh, played a serious role in a film in the 70s called The Front. And that is about, uh, he plays an ordinary guy working in a shop, I think, or a bar or something, who's approached to pretend to be the writer of these scripts because the guys who were the screenwriters uh, couldn't get their um, couldn't get their stuff used. And, you know, they had to um, split the money. Right. And uh, Woody Allen starts to enjoy the That's credit. That's quite a cushy job, though. Yeah, well, he yeah, said, but there's a great scene like where he's, as somebody who isn't a writer, is put in the, a room with a typewriter and blank paper and told to do a rewrite. And it's like, oh. I've, I know that fear myself as a writer, <laughs> but imagine if you had never written anything, how terrifying that was. But the that the character eventually becomes politicised uh, by the uh, by because his scripts start to be perceived as a bit left wing. He's put on the he's put on the stand himself, and it's right. the it's a, good, a great ending. This film, so do watch it. And it's involves it's written and uh, directed by people who themselves were blacklisted back in uh, back in the early fifties. Zero, Zero Mostel is in it, and. Um, uh, at the end of the film, it credits all the people who had been blacklisted who helped make this film the front. So, so check that out. Uh, but this was going on quite a lot, and of course, people could get um, uh, British studios were uh, thinking, "Oh, we can get these guys on the cheap." So, some of them came to England and yep. wrote films over here. The film uh, Genevieve was uh, uh, written. I think that might have even been uh, no. The film Genevieve was used the music uh, by Larry Adler, the harmonica right. player who was uh, blacklisted. And yeah. um, the music was nominated for a uh, Oscar, but he couldn't have his name on the credits of the film if it was going to be distributed in America. So they just uh, used the name of the conductor of the orchestra, and he. Um, and he, did he win? He, I can't remember if he won or not. Sorry, I ought to know the end of that story. But uh, <laughs> uh, but there's no credit on that film oh, yeah. for uh, music composed by. Uh, but it got a nomination for the Oscar, and uh, this little it's a little film about the London to Brighton vintage car rally. Right. That, again, another piece of dangerous Soviet oh, yeah. propaganda, um, which is ridiculous. If you think about Larry Adler, he was a he's a mouth organ player, a harmonica player. <laughs> they how are you, the most subversive. How you incite, of all musicians. How you incite revolution <laughs> with a mouth organ? They never really explained. Um, so um, yeah, these guys. Uh, so it was, they, they had some people in Hollywood stand up for them. People like um, Humphrey Bogart, mm-hmm. Lauren Bacall uh, and others um, made a sort of, uh, I think Danny Kay made a stand and protested. But I suppose then in standing against them, you're putting yourself yes, and many firmly others, in the firing line. Many others um, uh, didn't. And if you put your neck above the parapet, the phone stopped ringing and you yeah. just did not get work. So there's a blacklist, but there's also a grey list. There was a list of people whose names had been mentioned, associations that had been made, and those people just weren't asked to work anymore. Such was the atmosphere of fear in the whole industry. Mm. So we're in 1940s, 1950s America. The Red Scare is happening. Everyone's paranoid. Let's yeah. leave it there for a cup of tea and we'll see what happened next. I can't wait. Back to We Are History. We're talking about the Red Scare in America in the very early 1950s. Yeah. And there's one name, of course, that uh, people associate with this, uh, even though it was very widespread 
And oh. uh, talk us about... Joe McCarthy. Oh, boo. Uh, boo. <laughs> <laughs> We're not fans, are we, Joe uh, no, McCarthy? No. Uh, Joseph McCarthy was a US uh, senator for Wisconsin. Yes. Um, he uh, was elected, I believe, in the late 40s. He'd been... During the war, he'd been uh, a gunner, a rear gunner. Had exaggerated the action he had seen. And As did many yes. <laughs> politicians. About Lied about it, I think. A Republican politician. Lying about his Exaggerating their role in the war. <laughs> Surely not, John. Um, and, um, so anyway, tell us more he, about him. He was uh, a senator. He was elected during the latter stages of Truman's tenure. Truman was not a fan no. of Joe McCarthy. Um, they, it has to be said, Truman actually was not uh, a fan of the whole, despite you know this atmosphere, he wasn't someone who uh, was supportive of this thing. He was forced to sort of accommodate it. Yeah. Um, well, he, he said, was a Democrat, he, but with a, yeah. you know, a Republican Congress that was pressuring. Very much so. And, in, and you know, he was, uh, you know, um, in a, in a, standoff with the Soviet Union, but he did yeah. say, in a free country, we punish men for the crimes they commit, but never for the opinions they have, um, which I think is the sort of key point here, uh, that people were being prosecuted, sent to jail for contempt of Congress uh, for opinions that they were uh, alleged to have held. And the biggest sort of red baiter of all was Senator Joe McCarthy. So Joe McCarthy did a speech yes. in uh, 1950 and it was called the Wheeling speech. It was in, I'm trying to remember where Wheeling is. It's in America. <laughs> Thanks, John. Uh, West Virginia, there we go. Uh, so he did a speech in uh, February the 9th, 1950. And it was it was a speech to basically Republican wives. Right. Um, it wasn't a, you know, a big speech with a big audience. It wasn't Don't put an down important... Republican wives, Angela. They're <laughs> as important as any <laughs> other Republicans. Republican <laughs> but it wasn't even recorded, right, this speech. Right. Right. But during the speech on February the 9th, 1950, uh, he claimed that he had a list yes. of people that worked for the State Department, the State Department being yes. the sort of US equivalent of the Foreign Ministry. The Whitehall or whatever, that people, yeah. yeah. People that worked for the State Department who were... Communist Party members or had communist yeah. leanings. This is or... very uh, inflammatory. He said he had 205 names. I've got them here, you know. He said, yeah, well, the number of names seems well, to wildly vary. Well, this, is, some... this, was, this, is, this is what I loved about him. He, well, not loved about him, it's so fascinating about him, is when he was challenged, so you think, give us the names then. Who are these people? The number's gone up. The number's gone up, he went. And he's like, it's got worse. <laughs> so he just doubled down each time. Yeah. And, well, he just... But then, you know, one minute it was 205 people on the list, yeah. then it was 71 people on the list, then it was... Yeah. And he never actually know. sort of produced these names. No, no. But it created panic. People going, this is a US senator saying there are communists in our government. And... Absolutely. No and, and obviously the media picked up... Yeah. And on this. And it served their purposes. They were big corporations. They'd had problems with unions and strikes. And yep. uh, if, uh, you know, you could say that there was a, a, a problem with militancy, then that, that you know, they were happy to report. The Hearst Corporation, you know, lapped this up. Absolutely. And, um, and gave it a prominence. And that's one thing I should say about the whole thing is it was great theatre. If you've yeah. got... Um, House of American activities, banging gavels, shouting down, um, people trying to say that, it's, that this was unconstitutional. And you've got, you know, photographers taking pictures of accused men who have been in Hollywood. It sort of grabbed the front pages. And yeah. so it was very well, these dramatic. These film stars and, yeah. and, and high-ranking yeah. government officials that, are, you know, it's it's tabloid fodder. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, McCarthy became the sort of... Uh, uh, which find a general, didn't he? Really, yeah, well, America? basically, the Senate voted to investigate because mm -hmm. this 
panic had been stirred yes. up, so they couldn't be seen to just... Yes. Oh, ignore so McCarthy, the, he's got, mad. You've got the Senate doing it. You've got the House of Un-American Activities, which is not uh, McCarthy, because uh, that was uh, Congress, that was the House of Representatives. So both houses are concerned about this. Both houses controlled by the Republicans, even though there was a Democrat yeah. president. And obviously the Democrats are pretty pissed off. They are pissed off, but they're on the but back they, foot. And they're, they're having to appear uh, anti-communist as well. Uh, there's so a report from uh, Senator Democrat Senator Miller Tidings, who... Yeah. Um, so it was the Tidings Committee was yeah. formed to investigate yeah. these claims. And he's said to have said, let me have McCarthy for three days in public hearings and he'll never show his face in the Senate again. Right. Um, so I think they were hoping that they would be able to demonstrate that this was fear-mongering and panic. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of Donald Trump to this, isn't there? Just, uh, McCarthy oh, would just say a lie and then question the lie and he'd say a bigger lie, yeah. uh, which would make everyone gasp and sort of con- just well, continue and exactly ramping up. I the think sort of they ramp- expected to be able to expose his lies, but all he did was double down yeah. and lie some more and start accusing yes. more people. And then it got particularly vicious, really, with what has now since been, this term wasn't coined until 2004, but they've called it now the lavender scare. Oh, yes. Um, which is, there was a theory amongst sort of right-wing Republicans that... Uh, homosexuals, which bearing in mind homosexuality was illegal yes. in the United States at this point, that if you are homosexual, you are particularly susceptible to uh, being recruited as a Soviet spy because there was potential for blackmail yes. to be used against you. So if you um, were homosexual, you were thought to be a target. Yes. I mean, there's a relation here between um, the... Um the, the British spy scandals of the 1950s, there's a Burgess McLean. The there, sort of, there was a sort of notion in the air at that time that to be uh, a traitor to your country and a traitor to your gender mm. was all sort of mixed up. So, yeah, and of course, the, the Burgess McLean, King Philby, uh, British spies had been uh, responsible for leaking secrets to the Soviets, which included, it was thought, uh, how you know the uh, how the nuclear bomb got to Russia? So that yeah. was banded around that accusation. So the idea of being unfaithful to your country and unfaithful to women or uh, traditional yeah. Christian norms was all sort of mixed up in the air in there in this Absolutely. sort of rather weird. It was all sort of seen as subversive, <laughs> yes. sort of dangerous, communist, uh, yeah. gay, probably Jewish as well. We just put them yeah. all in a pot and stir them all up. Yeah, that was. You know, and of course, all this time, Edgar J. Hoover was uh, uh, leading this anti-communist charge and dressing up as a lady when he was in his bedroom at home. Yes, uh, which, uh, <laughs> which he has every right to do, of course, yeah. but uh, perhaps it's, not it's to funny, judge it? certain How judgment the ones on others. That shout the loudest. I know. Uh, I know. So, of course, uh, come 1953, Eisenhower yes. is elected. Yes. Uh, so we now have a Republican president. Yes. Yeah. Uh, McCarthy is made chairman of the Senate Committee on Government Operations, which God help us then gives him. Yeah. Power to expel. Basically, thousands of people lost their jobs because, similarly, as what happened in Hollywood with the House yes. of American activities, but now it's happening across the State Department and government departments. Yeah, just um, by being on a list from being some, for being on a one, list, one, or for being homosexual, right? Um, Sorry, or, or thought to be homosexual yeah. um, because they were seen as a threat because of the potential yes. for blackmail. When these sort of persecutions happen, there's a there's a there's a what happens is that the people in power present themselves as victims. So yeah. uh, there's a psychology that goes on. It's, again, a bit like Trump now or a bit like white men now going, you are, why isn't there an International Men's Day? It's that same yeah. thing where powerful people try to present themselves as victims and so that they can persecute others. Absolutely. And, this is so, and we also are, when you're sat at the top of a tree, yeah. 
And you you know deep down that there's no reason why you should be at the top of the tree ahead of any of these other people. Yeah, yeah. And yes. you have to find have to, that reason. Yes, and invent one. And invent is, one. Yeah, and so, and that we see it happening all the time. Yes. So this is that's why it's so this is such a sort of uh, it seems like such an extreme episode of sort of uh, mass hysteria and prejudice and unjust persecution, but it's actually part of a pattern throughout history, I would say. Uh, it's just this is just a particularly interesting one, I think. Absolutely. So at <clears> this point you've got you've got McCarthy, you've got Edgar J. Hoover yep. working together. Um, got Nixon as a young congressman doing his utmost to, yeah. uh, uh, I think actually it wasn't Nixon uh, became vice president uh, in the 50s and so uh, was rising on a tide of anti-communism uh, that would, would eventually catapult him to the to the White House. Uh, this is a, a direct quote from McCarthy, which sort of gives you an idea of what he was like. Uh, this is something that he announced to reporters yes. at the time of the Red Scare stroke Lavender Scare. He said, if you want to be against McCarthy, boys, you've got to be either a communist or a cocksucker. That's lovely. Isn't well, that lovely? Well, thank you for coming and speaking to the Republican wives. Yes. <laughs> what a charming gentleman. Um, um, now, in 1953, Dwight D. Eisenhower actually signed an executive order um, which meant that homosexuals were barred from working in federal government. Wow. So that was an executive order incredible. that was signed. Yeah. Um, thanks to McCarthy. And it was overseen by uh, the council, um, a, a man called Roy Cohn. Right. Uh, he was at this time a young lawyer. I think he was in his early 20s. Yes. He claimed to be a Democrat, but he seems to have worked with a lot of Republicans. Yes. And he helped push this executive order and um, was part of the the committee yep. that what McCarthy to chaired. Um, he went on in uh, future times to um, represent Donald Trump in the oh, 1970s. Oh, so he came good in the end. Came good in the end. <laughs> he, was, he represented Trump. He's represented Murdoch oh. as well. Um, interestingly, for somebody who was so vocal uh, about the barring of homosexuals from the federal government and how dangerous and subversive they were, uh, Roy Cohn died of AIDS. Oh. Related diseases so, in the 1980s. Say, it's always the ones now, it's who never make the explicitly most said that he was a homosexual, but it is largely thought that, uh, that he certainly dabbled. Okay. So um, 300 people were blacklisted by Hollywood mm -hmm. Studios, uh, and that's just the ones that were you know, officially uh, blacklisted. There were many others that didn't get the phone calls and whose work dried up. I mentioned Larry Adler. Uh, Paul Robeson really had his the great, uh, the great uh, black American singer, yeah. basically had his life ruined by being put on the stand by the House of Un-American Activities. He was... Uh, not allowed to work again, but he also had his passport taken away. And he was very popular in England and in Europe. He could yeah. have come here and sung, but he was denied that opportunity and he died before his passport was returned to him or he was able to um, work again. Um, there was a paranoia about the secrecy of the Communist Party, and, but mm. that secrecy had come about because of previous um, uh, waves of persecution earlier on in the 20th century. So, so, say, this is the second Red Scare, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Um, there was a Red Scare after World War One. Yes, that's right. In 1919, I think there was a, a big scare as well. Uh, yeah. And about and the beginning of the century as well. It's almost like if you uh, create this sort of level of paranoia and panic over something it's almost like you drive it to secrecy absolutely that's <laughs> what happened it was a chicken and egg really yeah. uh, so um charlie chaplin of course he didn't actually get on the stand but as he was leaving for europe to uh, promote one of his films he was told that his uh, visa or whatever had been rescinded yeah. and he decided there and then to never go back his film was not 
publicised in America. His name was tainted in the States and he uh, decided to move to Switzerland, Switzerland and, never, uh, and never moved back to America. He came back to get uh, an honorary Oscar in 1972, but he was still very bitter about that. And it basically, uh, obviously his greatest filmmaking days were behind him anyway, but yeah. uh, he was, you know, perhaps the greatest movie star of all time. And they were and quite they, happy just to... Just to completely accuse him of being un-American when he came from South London, like where we are right now. Uh, Bertolt Brecht had to huh? face the House of Un-American Activities, who was that well-known uh, college frat boy from West Virginia. No, uh, he was put up on the stand and they read one of his uh, poems to him and it said how socialist it was. And yeah. he said, oh, it's just a bad translation. <laughs> just like, he goes, no, that's not the German word. They said, have you plotted to overthrow the government. He goes, yes. And it was gasps. I plotted to overthrow the government of uh, Nazi Germany, which this, America was at war. And um, yeah. that was what's so weird about this, because the Russians had been allies, allies. Uh, until very recently. And we're talking yeah. 10 years Yeah, yeah, yeah. seven before years this. earlier. Seven yeah. years before this. And, um, uh, and yet to have been uh, to pro-Soviet events in the, fort, early, in the early 40s during mm. the war was seen as being a communist sympathiser. It was sort of a, yeah. a distortion well, of Well, that history. was tied in, wasn't it, as well, with the sort yeah. of um, appeasement. What's yeah. the deal that Stalin had with Hitler called? Well, the, the Nazi-Soviet Pact, it's called, I think. Is that what? I think yeah, I was yeah. thinking it had a different oh, It was called name. Simon. <laughs> no, Simon, the Nazi-Soviet Pact. Simon the Pact. That's, no. that's, you've lodged that in my head now. That's... <laughs> Let me read to you. This is another actor who was um, uh, put up against the House of Un-American Activities. His name was uh, Lionel Sander. He was a, like a gravelly-voiced actor, character actor, who was um, put on the stand and said that he did know of some subversion. And they were like, oh, the court sat up. He said, I know of a group of fanatics who are desperately trying to undermine the Constitution of the United States by depriving artists and others of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness without due process of law. Interested? If you're interested in that, I'd like to tell you about it. I can tell names and I can cite instances. There are a group of ex-Bundists, American firsters and anti-Semites, people who hate everybody, including Negroes, minority groups, and most likely themselves. And they were banging their gavel and going, no, Mr. Sandman, no. But he was basically turning the, you know, he's doing sort of jujitsu uh, uh, accusations back onto them. Because, you know, he, the, this, these accusations were being made by a load of um, uh, far-right un-American. And there's nothing more yeah. un-American, really, than... Than um, you know, discounting the freedom of speech. Mm. Many uh, people who took the stand uh, swore the Fifth Amendment, which is the right to not say anything. But yep. that was seen to be self-incriminating, and yep. you must be a communist if you're not prepared to name other people you think are communists. So it was, you know, incredibly damaging for a great many people, and uh, it it was very slow to evaporate. Um, it was, but evaporate it did eventually. Um, yeah. McCarthy was brought down yes. when he decided to take on the army. I think it was his downfall. It was a specific incident, wasn't there, that, 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 of him trying to help some mate or something? That was... Well, there was. We're back to uh, our friend Roy Cohn, oh. the uh, legal counsel, who um, was representing McCarthy during this army hearings. And they were accusing... The army were accusing McCarthy and Cohn of requesting special treatment right. for um, a inverted commas friend okay. of Mr. Cohn. Okay. Uh, I put it in inverted commas. There's no actual evidence that they were romantically involved, okay. but it's heavily implied that they might have been. But um, anyway, these army hearings essentially were the start of the downfall for McCarthy because if there's one thing that America is prouder of, than their Republican politicians. <laughs> it's their, it's it's their the servicemen. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so McCarthy's fall was rapid. Um, 
And uh, he was a very heavy drinker and he um, sort of died in an alcoholic haze a few years after this. He did. Uh, um, but uh, that's not to say that the, 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 the people all rushed back to work. Many of them stayed out of work in the whole of the 60s. Mm -hmm. uh, Disney was some one of the uh, employers who had been very keen to push this uh, communist problem. Oh, He'd had a strike <laughs> of animators and cartoonists. Mm. And uh, we all know how militant they are, those <laughs> guys. I mean, basically, he was a very... Um, uh, mean employer and someone who didn't want to recognise unions and didn't want to uh, stand by fair contracts. And so um, he would build up the notion of communist infiltration in the unions when, you know, the you don't get Bambi as really, as a <laughs> it's not really a Trotskyite figure really, or Thumper isn't really I agitating. I mean, they do shoot her mother. They do shoot, yeah, but that's not a communist, is it? Um, but so... Um, if you look at the working conditions in Disney, mm. those seven dwarves, it's, look at the diamonds, <laughs> the amount of diamonds they produce. They were sharing one bedroom between them. I mean, someone there is getting a rake off and I bet it's old Walt himself. Seven to a bedroom and the money they were bloody digging up. Uh, yeah. They thought of it like that. Yeah, well, there you are. So that's, uh, so the, um, uh, you know, you've got this happy little Tweety Birdsong films he was producing mm. with dancing animals and all the time he was uh, whipping up Red Scare and stirring up poison against so innocent people. So he didn't people. have to provide... So he didn't have to pay decent wages, wages and, and uh, uh, good working conditions. Workers. Yeah, so, so uh, and this was chat. true This was true right across uh, Hollywood. All the mm. major studios uh, collaborated uh, with the uh, Red Scare. None of them stood up to the Republican uh, paranoia. And it must be said, the, most of the American people were... Uh, went along with it and felt it. Yeah. So they didn't want to watch Charlie Chaplin's film when it was released. It bombed in the United States. It did well in Europe, limelight. Um, uh, and because, because it had Chaplin's name with it and he's a communist and we don't want anything to do with that. Which you get, it shows, doesn't it, the power of media. And yeah. it's, we're sitting here now in what month? January 2019. Yeah. You know, with Brexit yeah. Possibly just around the corner. Fear of foreigners, and, uh, fear of others. The Americans' fear of Mexicans coming over, bringing drugs and, yeah. as, 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 as Trump saying, they, 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 they bring rapists. They bring, it's the same, the fear of outsiders, the fear and, of... And all the while, yeah. actual, you know, actual people actually starving yeah, and, and using food banks and whatsoever, yeah. but we're more worried about a perceived... Yeah, so whilst terrible things right. were happening in America in the deep south and in and, and terrible working conditions, Ooh. this myth this spectre of communism was put up as a sort of smokescreen uh, for, for what was really needed to happen. And yeah. I think, you know, throughout history, if you think of time, there are other times when societies go mad. We talked about Arthur Miller and the, and the, mm. uh, the witch hunts in Salem. But in Britain, there's been times when you've thought people have gone mad. I mean, if you yeah, think... I think of, we're in one. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yes, I think people have gone mad about... We went, we went, they went mad during the Brexit uh, vote. They didn't yep. stop and think about what it meant and now we're starting to realise what it meant I think during the death of Diana that week Britain, that was... Britain went slightly bonkers yeah. and copies of Private Eye were taken down from the mag uh, the magazine shelf in WH Smith because they made jokes about it and people were weeping yeah. about somebody they'd never met and every corner had flowers in the town square and you just think mass hysteria you, is you a phenomenon mass hysteria is this thing that grips 
a whole society mm. about the most bizarre things. And yeah. communism was a, you know, there was a Cold War between America, but communism was not a problem in America. No. There'd been very yeah, little... I think we should probably be clear. We're not, you know, we're not, we're not advocating communism. I did go to a CP meeting once in my youth. Did if, you? if this is, I'm taking the stand now. When I was, <laughs> before I joined the Labour Party, I thought maybe I should join the Communist Party. And this, the, the captain of my pub quiz team was a communist. And he got me down to his house I put this in my first book, Things Can Only Get Better. And, um, nice little plug there, Yeah, and Things Can Only Better, available in all good bookshops and some <laughs> crap ones too. And um, uh, we sat around, about four of us, and there was just this woman who read out this, um, this list of fraternal greetings from uh, our comrades in Bulgaria, and there are fraternal greetings from our comrades in Poland, and that is how far, along, how far back it was. And I, I gradually became aware that the captain of my pub quiz team was nuts. He said the important thing for the Communist Party of Great Britain, we must restore the reputation of Comrade Stalin. And there was, this, and then there was, this, there was this awkward shifting in the seats that everyone knew that this guy always went on about this. And they were going, oh, no, we're not really on Stalin's side. We're post-1953. Yeah. post, post 1953. We're sort of with Khrushchev. And I'm sitting here going, what the hell is going on? And then just there's a bust of Stalin on the mantelpiece and there's a picture of Stalin above the fireplace. I'm going... The captain of my pub quiz team is nuts. And, I'm, and so I think it's fairly soon after that, he said to me, are you, um, you um, going to join the Communist Party then? And I said, uh, no, I think I might give the Labour Party a go, actually. <laughs> and, uh, so I, and there began my rather um, unglamorous career of uh, in the last 30 years in the Labour Party. Yeah. But that would have been enough. My one meeting, uh, going to that one Communist Party meeting, would have been enough to stop me writing all those TV shows and getting my books published. I would have not been yeah. able to have a career as a writer in this country for decades if I had had to um, confirm or deny that I'd been at that meeting. My name would have been on a list. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what many, many American writers had to uh, had to endure. They came to Britain, some of them, so lucky old us, had some great American screenwriters. Yep. Um, and uh, But many of their lives were ruined and they, uh, they had to sell their houses and they had to um, move their families. Uh, and of course, the great irony of it being, you know, those communist regimes... Yeah, it needs to. Do, it's, we're doing exactly the same thing to their exactly. artists that's, and writers, and that's exactly you know, right. They're behaving exactly the same yeah. so way in, as a totalitarian state. So, in fighting, in, in purporting to fight totalitarianism, mm. uh, the uh, Republicans in America uh, behaved in an utterly totalitarian way, being judge, jury, prosecutor, uh, and of, of people on very, very scant evidence. Um, I think that probably covers all of it. If there's um, more books you would like to read about this, mm -hmm. um, I can recommend McCarthyism, The Great American Red Scare, which is uh, compiled a documentary history by Albert Fried. Fried, now how you pronounce that? I've got um, Inside Out by Walter Bernstein. He was actually one of the Hollywood Ten. Oh, that's good. Um, so, yeah, a memoir of the blacklist. I've got uh, Many of the Crimes here, McCarthyism in America by Ellen Schrecker. I haven't quite finished that one yet, but uh, so I'll see what happens at the end. Um, <laughs> and then if you want to watch a movie, watch Trumbo, watch The Front, despite Woody Allen being the lead. It's not a lack of Woody Allen comedy. It's a serious film. Uh, there's a Barbara Kingsolver novel called The Lacuna, which is set oh. in this period, which was probably worth uh, uh, checking out. And also, yeah. of course, The Crucible, if you haven't seen it, it's a great play. It certainly is. Um, and um, I think we've, I think we've, we've sorted the Red Scare. I yeah, think we, we've, if only we've been there at the time. Been there at the time. I would have named names. I would have said Angela Barnes. She's one of them. She did a benefit. Anything to save she, his own skin. <laughs> she did a benefit for some good cause or other. That would have been enough, Angela. It was on my Wikipedia page for ages. It's finally gone now that I did 
uh, that I supported Jeremy Corbyn on his Jeremy Corbyn from right. PM tour. I didn't. I never right. never did right. one of those gigs. But it was on my Wikipedia for ages and and I was getting people oh, I ask me about it in interviews. You're a Corbynista. I'm really not. I had things. John Farrell is a Republican. Well, I probably... You know, I don't care much about the royal family. I probably am if I drilled down, but I've never said in public I was a Republican. Uh, I made some joke on Grumpy Old Men, I think, and now it's on my Wikipedia page. But that that's what we use as evidence now. Yeah, I think are it's you really now? To remember, have you we ever are been? comedians, and sometimes yeah. we lie. We make jokes. We make we <laughs> lie for humorous humorous purposes. That's all from We Are History. It is indeed. Don't forget if you want to get in touch with us, you can do it on Twitter at We Are History Pod. On Instagram at We Are History. Pod. <laughs> yes, or you can email us wearehistorypod at gmail.com. Uh, but only if you are not a communist. Absolutely. Any communists, we will name and shame you and give your name to the Labour Party and join that. <laughs> 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 Till next time. Bye. <laughs>